Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. culture slipping further and further away from the truth of the Word of God and the hope of the gospel. I wonder, are we angered or are we stirred spiritually because of the reality that eternity stands before every one of our neighbors, every one of our co-workers, every one of our friends. Eternity stands before us and the vast amount of men and women and young people do not know Jesus. Paul felt he could make a difference because God had called him to make a difference. The world has fallen so far from God's original good intention. Sin is a pervasive problem in every human heart. And because of this sin and separation from God, an eternity in hell awaits. However, there is good news. Jesus came and died in your place so you no longer have to face that eternity and God calls you to share this great news. Today, Pastor David will challenge you to have a passion for the lost, to make sure others know of this salvation. Be available for God to mightily use you and your life in amazing ways. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 17 as he continues his message, Noble of Character. call ourselves believers, if we say that we believe this book, we need to be students of the book. We need to be people of the book. Otherwise, we are so easily deceived. Somebody comes in with a small portion of the truth. Oh, yes, I connect with that. And then they add a little more, a little more, a little more to it. And suddenly we are drawn into deception, thinking that we're standing in the truth. Even within what you and I would believe to be Christian denominations or or ministries, you've got to understand false and at least questionable doctrines abound in them. And that's why each one of us need to be students of the Word of God. That was a continual concern for Paul even in the first century. He wrote over and over again. He wrote to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I fear for you, lest somehow, just as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached? Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Why? Because somebody, a very charismatic personality or someone who says, oh, listen, uh, God gave me this vision. 
God spoke to me. An angel came and appeared to me and shared these things. That's why Paul warned the church in Ephesus. He said, you know what? You, you need to know what the word teaches. You need to no longer be as children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery or the deceitfulness of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You think it was happening just in the first century? No, it's happening right now, today. Paul told Timothy, his young protege, he said, every believer needs to be able to rightly divide the word of truth, to be able to shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Oh, but this sounds so spiritual and so good, and we bite into it, hook, line, and sinker, and we actually end up going further and further away from the truth. Even John wrote to us in 1 John chapter 4. He said, beloved, oh, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's why when somebody comes up and says, man, the spirit of God has spoken this to me, I'm gonna say, whoa, hold on a second. How does what they are saying line up with the word of God? Is it adding something that is not there? Is it putting something that is contrary to what the word declares? Time out. Don't tell me that God has given you personally a brand new revelation that he has not revealed anywhere else within his word. The danger was so real in the first century that Paul tells the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter one, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as a matter of fact, Paul was so adamant about that, the very next verse, he repeats himself almost verbatim. He must have been speaking to men because we need everything repeated to us, right? <laughs> verse nine, he says, and as we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be damned is what he's saying. So let me ask you, do you think the enemy of your soul has grown weary in trying to trip up the church through false doctrines and false teachings? Oh man, it's just, no, he has not given up. As a matter of fact, I believe he's ramped up. Again, more so as the end is coming, as these days, again, being these last days, I believe he's ramped up because there's nothing he would like more than to trip you and I up in our faith and to cause the message of Christ to be diluted by, again, teachings and visions and insight of man. The church needs to wake up we need to become more like Bereans. We need to be a people. Yes, we're willing to listen, but we're not willing to take any new teaching for granted. That's why they said they receive the word with all readiness, but yet they searched the scriptures daily. And then they were able to find out that the very things that Paul was speaking to them were true. Verse 12 tells us, therefore many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, and prominent women 
as well as men. Again, the power of the word of God being received by a people who are hungry for God. Many were saved, Greeks, prominent Jewish women, as well as some Jewish men. As a matter of fact, the impact of the word of God was so strong there in the city of Berea that 50 miles away in Thessalonica, they heard what was going on. Rather, somebody from Berea that didn't like it went up and, you know, tattled or squealed on what's happening in, in, in Berea, we don't know. But Thessalonica, 50 miles away, the Jews that were giving them such a hard time back then, they then traveled that distance down to Berea and they started stirring up more of a problem. Look what verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but uh, both Silas and Timothy remained there. I I want you to catch this real quick. They heard that the word of God was being preached by Paul, and that upset them. It kind of brings us back to last week where they had gone so far away from what they believed that they were coming against the very word that they said that they believed. Now they said the word of God is being preached. We don't like that. We're going to go down and stop that. How far they would fallen from the truth? If man isn't going to receive the truth, he'll do all that he can to remove the truth from convicting his own life. Don't share that Jesus with me anymore. I don't believe in that stuff. I don't want to hear your stuff. You know what? If it wasn't convicting, they said, you know what? You can keep talking all you want. It just doesn't matter. But it's the ones that stand up forcibly against it, I believe, are the ones that are most convicted by it. Paul, it was time for him to leave Berea, but he wasn't going to leave this new group of believers alone to fend for themselves. And so he went ahead and left Silas and Timothy there at Berea, at least for a short while. They could continue to encourage the brethren continue to pray for them, continue to teach them, disciple them for whatever short period of time. Again, Paul then leaving their group of believers from Berea, conducting him down out of harm's way as he heads to Athens. Verse 15 tells us, so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So again, seems now Paul is in Athens. He's pretty much all alone. None of his missionary team were with him at all. The journey from Berea to Athens is about 220 miles. Not a very easy trip. Rather, he did it by sea or rather he walked along the coastal highway there. Uh, It would have taken him a few days to get there. Once he arrived in Athens, the brothers that followed him or that uh, went with him, traveled with him there, they, they were ready to turn around and go back home. And he told them, when you get back to Berea, Tell Silas and Timothy to come to me as quickly as they can. So once they've set the church in order, once they encourage the saints to come to Athens to be with Paul. Now you need to understand that when Paul got into Athens, he didn't, he didn't go to Athens uh, as a vacation spot. 
He didn't say, well, man, ministry has been so tough. I need to go and get me a little bit of rest. So I'm going to go down to Athens where it's there by the sea. It's a beautiful place. I'm going to hang out at Athens. No, that wasn't his intent. Paul went to Athens for the same purpose he traveled in all of his missionary journeys, to be able to spread the hope and the truth of the gospel wherever the Lord would lead him. So now he comes in and he arrives in Athens. And you and I, we think of Athens uh, like right now you can go and travel to Athens and you can see all the ruins of all these temples and all of these main structures that are there. You and I realize Athens at one time was a great, great city. Well, Athens had already gone by its glory days. Its glory days had been around in the 300 BCs, about 300 years before Paul had come there. Still a thriving city, still a big city, but the days of the, the Grecian portion of Athens had been, again, they had been defeated by the Romans in the 80s of the BCs, and now, again, not nearly what it was, not nearly as glorious, but still a very powerful city. As a matter of fact, the city of Athens, they say, is one of 12 of the oldest continually inhabited cities in the world. So Athens has been around for quite a while. Paul had the opportunity there to wander the streets, to look around at what's going on, look in the marketplaces there in Athens. There was one thing that stood out to him above all else as he went through this city. And that was the number and the variety of all of these pagan gods that were displayed throughout the city. Everywhere you went in Athens, there was some kind of a, a, a monument to some pagan deity, some statue, some sort of thing that everywhere you turned, you would be drawn into attention of this pagan idol that's around. As it says in verse 16, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. There was such a part of the culture of that city literally throughout the ages, from the Greek culture even to the Roman culture. As a matter of fact, when the Romans came and overtook Athens from the Grecian Empire, they didn't destroy all the monuments and the temples. They destroyed homes, but they kept the monuments and the temples there. They just took their god, the Grecian god, gave it a Roman name, and continued to worship it. They, they took this temple that was to a Grecian god, changed its name, and continued to worship there. The pagan worship in Athens had been going on for years and years, and they had a multiple of these gods to cover nearly every aspect of their lives. According to the study notes that are in the English Standard Version Study Bible, they say that in Paul's day, Athens boasted of a stadium, a large theater, an Odeon, uh, that's a musical theater. Some of Athens' most prominent features were its numerous pagan temples. The great temple to Athena, the Parthion, uh, the Arestheon, which is dedicated to a multiple of deities, uh, the temple of the goddess Roma and the emperor Augustus, which stood atop the Acropolis overlooking the city, a hill outside of the city, looking over, had these big temples so you can see them from anywhere within the city. It says that many other pagan sacred sites have also been found, confirming uh, Petronius's satirical assertion that it's easier to find a god than a man. 
in Athens. Everywhere you look, you see these little pagan idols. When Luke tells us that Paul's spirit was provoked, he uses a word that actually means it was, it was in pain, it was distressed, it was troubled, it was stirred. It, it wasn't the idea of anger. I believe that what Luke is saying there is Paul was so concerned for how lost these people were. They're absolutely immersed in this pagan worship. And as I look at that, I wonder, as you and I, as we move around in our current culture, as we hear these horrifying news stories, as we see wickedness being played out in our own cities and sometimes even in our own neighborhoods, as we witness our own culture slipping further and further away from the truth of the word of God and the hope of the gospel. I wonder, are we angered? Or are we stirred spiritually because of the reality that eternity stands before every one of our neighbors, every one of our coworkers, every one of our friends? Eternity stands before us. And the vast amount of men and women and young people do not know Jesus. Paul felt he could make a difference because God had called him to make a difference. Even when Paul got to Athens, there was a Jewish synagogue there. He went to the synagogue. Once again, he found the opportunity to share the hope of the gospel in that synagogue. But he also shared it in the marketplace. Look at verse 17. Therefore he reasoned, Paul reasoned in the synagogue there in Athens with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. But some of them came to him and said, what does this babbler want to say? And others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. One of the things you need to realize, just as this Greco-Roman culture here, they worship this multitude of gods, they also believe that there were multitudes of ways to please these gods and so to be able to secure your place in the afterlife. Okay, so they had this multitude of gods, a multitude of ways. All roads lead to heaven, right? It's even a common belief that we have today. For the Jews, though, it was totally opposite. They believed in one God, and that only through him could you secure your place in eternity. But also, according to their tradition, in order to secure that place in eternity, you also had to become a Jew. So even if you're a Greek or a Roman, no, it's not going to work until you become a Jew. Now comes this babbler, Paul. He comes and he seems to kind of combine the two of them in a form or a fashion. He says, oh, there's one God and there's only one way to get there. But that way to get there is available. It's open to men everywhere through that one that is called Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul's teaching was totally opposite than what the Greeks knew, totally different than what the Jews proclaimed. He declared that doctrine 
not only openly in the synagogues and in the marketplaces, but he wrote about it over and over within his gospel records or within his letters. He wrote to the Romans in Romans 10, there's no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He wrote to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter three. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. Now that really messes up the, the, the Greeks' minds. Then he says, there's neither male nor female. And that really messes up the Jewish mind. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. To the church in Colossia, he wrote in chapter three, he says, there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. Man, he, again, both the Jew and the Greek or the Roman, they're saying, how can that be? He says, but Christ is all and in all. That was this curious new teaching that he was bringing. And, and Paul would, would boldly share it with all who would listen. Why? Guys, because Paul knew the word of God. That's the Old Testament. He was a student of the word because Paul had a relationship with the Son of God. He was totally surrendered into the care and into the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. Why was Paul able to share so openly? Because Paul also had a passion and a concern for the lost. First for his own people, the Jews, but also for all the pagans that surrounded him. How about you? Do you know the word of God? Do you have a relationship with the son of God? And if you do, do you have a passion and a concern for the lost? All of those things working together in Paul's life made him a powerful tool for the Lord to use wherever he went. Because Paul not only had all those things, but he continually committed himself to be a usable vessel. Even as he says, man, I, I, I buffet my body in order that, again, I would, I would stay, again, willing, open, able, obedient to the things of God in my life. All the head knowledge that you have, even, even as a student of the word, all of the head knowledge that you and I could have would still be empty without that empowering work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. But you know what? Even all the power and all the giftings of the Holy Spirit is of no avail if you yourself have not made yourself an available vessel. Purging the things from your life that you know that are not pleasing. Being determined in your life to walk in obedience. Surrendering yourself to the will, the purpose, and the plan of God. Have you made yourself ready? Are you as the Bereans? Are you searching the scriptures daily? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? But more important than all of that, do you know the one that Paul preached about? 
the one that Paul surrendered his life to. Guys, that's the importance for each one of us. Open our hearts, changes from within by the open word. Thanks for joining Pastor David today as we study the book of Acts on the open word. Though our program has come to an end today, your time in God's Word can continue. It could be beneficial to go back and study today's passage in Acts on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you'll find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. For directions and service times, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Now let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community and around the nation with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially needs prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts would be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Hey, thanks for praying, and thank you for being a loyal listener to The Open Word.